This episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast is sponsored by Podcorn. What is Podcorn? Podcorn is a marketplace that connects podcasts like this one with businesses of all kinds looking to raise the awareness of their brands through ad reads, interview segments, and more. I recently came across Podcorn and thought their idea of matching businesses looking to advertise on shows like this one was too good to be true, but quickly found that the site was very easy to use and was able to browse companies that I thought would fit the interests of our listeners. I've also come to love Podcorn's transparency when dealing with potential advertisers. Being able to set your own rates and having a variety of brands with a clear-cut idea of who they want to target and what they're looking for helps alleviate the stresses of sending countless blind emails in the hopes that someone will reply. All of this and there are no middle people to deal with and you don't have to give up any of the rights to your show. So huge thanks to Podcorn for sponsoring this episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. Explore a wide array of sponsorship opportunities yourself and start monetizing your podcast by signing up today at podcorn.com slash podcasters. Now on to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John Beatty, and with me as always is Daniel Terry. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing good, man. Springtime came early. Uh, I haven't caught coronavirus uh, yet, but uh, a lot of people are telling me I should be washing my hands, but, uh, you know, uh, it, that probably doesn't matter, right? Uh, I don't know. We just, as of uh, 20, not even 20 minutes ago, just got our first confirmed case here in Michigan. Uh, my wife sent me the text. Uh, apparently, it's a real thing. Uh, I made fun of it by making the uh, wash your hands meme thing that's going around. The wash, yeah. your, wash your lyrics or whatever the fuck that thing is called. Uh, uh, I used, uh, coincidentally enough, I used Rather Be Dead by Refused. Uh, nice. I was just putting in songs and seeing which ones kind of fit the the photos that were being used for the different processes of washing your hands. And uh, then, because what would be fucking funnier than having a Gigi Allen song, I used Bite It, You Scum. Uh, oh. And that was rather amusing, too. Yeah, well, it, we had a uh, confirmed case here in St. Louis pretty much, uh, I think, three or four days ago, something like that. And uh, it was the dumbest thing in the world because, like, this is the problem that, you know, people don't seem to understand is that if you are, <coughs> let me try that again. As you cough. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, I'm getting it right now. Um, no, but this is the weird thing that, that happens whenever you have like a, a virus type of situation is this woman in, uh, in Ladue, which is Ladue's kind of like the more ritzy part of St. Louis. It's like where all the rich people live. And uh, so she had a confirmed case of coronavirus and was put on quarantine, you know, the the whole family was. And her husband went to a party. <laughs> was it her dad? Okay. <laughs> the assist from your wife telling the story correctly. Thanks for the assist. Yeah, awesome. She was put on quarantine. Well, her dad um, went to a party and then, I guess, came home from the party and then took his other daughter to a daddy-daughter dance. Daddy-corona-daughter dance. 
I mean, it's just like, well, it's it's also like, it's not like he just like went to the drugstore to get cigarettes, you know, like, or some like, like went out to get something. Okay. Maybe that's not a need, but you know what I mean? Like, um, you know, it's not like he, he went somewhere that was like private, like, Oh, I got to fill the car up. It'll probably be fine. Anything like that. Like it was literally like, let's go to a place where there's a lot of people where there'll be tons of interactions where there'll probably be, you know, snacks and drinks and you know, all, all these, all these things. So it's like, why, why would you, why would you, why would you do that? Like, I just, uh, I, it boggles the mind. So yeah, we, it's, it's getting like, it's full bore terrifying here in St. Louis because everybody's, everybody's like completely freaking out about that, that we have confirmed cases. We have, you know, all that. So, uh, you know, I, I can understand John, if you don't want to meet up anytime soon, we'll, we'll wait until August, you know, when all this blows over. I actually got sent home today cause apparently I didn't look very good and, uh, straight up some of the managers had made the comment that, you know, my wife and I have traveled quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, they, they're not wrong. No, they're uh, not. Have traveled quite a bit, but I mean, that was over a month ago. So, uh, but yeah, apparently, like one guy, one of the bosses walked by me. He's like, "Are you feeling okay?" And I was like, "I mean, I'm like my body's sore, um, but like, I mean, I feel fine. I'm just tired." Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just had a time change and everything. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I ended up uh, was doing my job, looking at an email, like getting ready to reply to it, and then like one of my my boss came up. He's like, "Yeah, you got to go home." <laughs> I was like. But why? He's like, we. I mean, the flu is going around and all this other shit, and yeah, you just got to go. <laughs> so I was like, uh, all right. That kind of sucks, though. Did, were you forced to use your sick time? Um, I mean, I'm only going to use like a part, partial day for that. Um, I was planning on, and I'll cut this out, <laughs> I was planning on calling in sick tomorrow anyway, so. <laughs> well, uh, by the time this posts, you know. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I guess the the, the threat is real. Um, sure. People are, are worried. Um, everyone's on high alert. And, you know, we're not making fun of the situation, but, um, you know, it is kind of interesting. And I know we're not talking about the guest uh, that we have, and maybe that's good, bad, or indifferent. I don't know. Um, so I guess I'll get that out of the way. The guest is, uh, holy shit, Dennis uh, of Refused. Uh one of my all-time favorite bands and I was uh, going to say how did how did how did we land this fish? I mean, this is this is kind of a whole new level. Sorry, I've been listening to a lot of Pantera. Basically, I uh I I mean, the band was coming here to Grand Rapids and uh I have been trying to get Dennis or anyone from Refused on the show when the record was coming out and it was a lot of oh, the band's kind of busy and you know, they're an international band so trying to like us, you know, get times set up is kind of rough and it was just a lot of like hassle at first and then just became a thing where i saw the show was coming typically the publicist that i was dealing with that dealt with them likes to be notified a week before with a request and i was like hey any way that we can get dennis to come on the show and talk about the new record and and just kind of you know whatever and surprisingly it, it was uh yeah sounds great uh be there at this time next week and uh there you go and i was like holy shit and then the nervousness set in. You thought coronavirus is scary. Uh, go do a chat with Dennis from Refused and tell me how you feel. Because um, I was stupidly nervous. Really nervous. Um, I, <laughs> so much so that, like, where the interview starts, quote unquote, the interview starts. Um, so here's a trick that I, I figured out as I was in the moment because I realized if I had to do a hard, like, and here I am talking to so-and-so and, and then had to, like, read my questions... I think you would have heard the nervousness in my voice. So as soon as we were talking about my notes, because I pulled out my notebook with my questions already prepared and all that, and I was talking about, you know, just, you know, writing, and then that led to Dennis talking about how he, you know, writes tour 
you know, diaries and so forth. And as soon as, like, we were just kind of talking, I was like, fuck, I'm going to hit record right now because at least then, like, we'll already be in the swing of a conversation and I don't have to awkwardly make a conversation start happening. Um, So that's the trick to this, why it doesn't sound like I'm nervous because we were just already in the throes of a conversation and I just hit record. Um, So I, I think it went pretty well. Um, I didn't ask everything I necessarily wanted to, but, um, I thought we hit on some pretty interesting things. Um, I kind of wish, you know, maybe we were a little bit, you know, more in the throes of our coronavirus thing. Cause I mean, obviously they're, you know, a foreign band in a foreign country at this point. So it would have been kind of interesting to talk a little bit about how that has shaped, uh, no pun intended, uh, shaped, <laughs> uh, their touring and so forth. I mean, basically Pearl Jam just canceled their entire North American and all the touring, uh, due to the coronavirus South by Southwest canceled, uh, Coachella got moved back, I think at least a month. And you're starting to see all the overseas touring kind of coming to a halt. I know Hope Swall just canceled their Japanese tour. Yeah, that's a bummer. So, I mean, by all accounts, it looks like a lot of people aren't really fucking around with this, kind of bringing it full circle. Um, so it's uh, kind of the state of affairs we're in right now. It's it's affecting commerce. It's affecting the touring musical climate. Um, as of when we're doing this, I'm going to be talking to Justin from Killswitch and uh, JB from August Burns Red, and I'm sure I'm probably going to ask them about that because it's a, it's a very... Uh, interesting topic to kind of discuss um i don't really know that we've ever had something globally like this that would affect touring musicians um i don't even think during like bird flu or swine flu or any of that stuff like it necessarily really affected um anybody you know like i i don't remember it affecting tours like like coronavirus has so far yeah this is this is really different i've never seen anything like this to be honest in in my lifetime um and it is hard to say if it's an overreaction or not. I mean, people are people are dying from it, you know. Um, but you know, at the same time, it's very devastating to see that. Like, like there's certain thing there's certain things about, and I feel like this is in you know, sort sort of in the in the in the vein of refused in the sense that like there there's it, it shows a lot of weird things about our country and that like. We're, we're the type of country that, like, instead of putting our seatbelts on whenever we're supposed to, we take out the annoying no seatbelt light that beeps at us instead of just putting on our seatbelt. And, like, I definitely see that with the hand-washing stuff. And, like, the, the, the you know, people are saying if you wash your hands, you know, and, and just keep your personal hygiene up you're you're, you're gonna be okay probably you know it, it's not that you won't get the virus maybe but it, like it's just it's just a good situation to be in like keeping yourself clean to to help uh not spread viruses because like i work i work in medical in a medical job i actually got a new job uh very recently and uh it's back in the in the biomedical field and um like hand washing is just common sense and uh yeah yeah i don't think and, and you know normally i don't like making controversial statements on the podcast but uh, at least not that are at least that are not music related um but like washing your hands should not be a controversial statement <laughs> no no it shouldn't be like even a little bit so that's that's my soapbox my my hand washing soapbox um I don't really have any other way to really get into our conversation with Dennis. Uh, Transition to that, John. Yeah, I think uh, I just need to uh, wash my hands of this and get into our conversation with Dennis of Refused, and we will talk to you on the other side of it. (laughs) He still did it.
coming prepared. <laughs> I feel like it's such an antiquated uh, format to, to write things down. Um, I, don't, I don't know. It's really weird. I did an interview the other day, and I had to actually look at my phone because I didn't have this with me. Oh, wow. And I felt so uh, not personal conversation because yeah, yeah, yeah. I constantly was kind of looking at my phone and I was like I feel like that's the, the problem we run into nowadays is that yeah. it's so impersonal because everyone will be like let's hang out yeah. on your phone exactly and I do I write all my lyrics for, like this and I write all my notes like that and you know so out of curiosity I mean that I mean that's not something I had on here but just interestingly enough because when people ask me why I actually take the time to write things down I feel like because it gives a broader sense of actually taking the time because you're not just gonna on a phone it's so it's not real it's not tangible yep. so you could just write bullshit yep. because you're filling space you're yep. filling whatever so but I feel like if you take the time to write something out you're not gonna bullshit yourself because you wouldn't waste your own time to do that do you yeah. find that when you write lyrics I think so I think that I mean it is more of, as I said, like an old school approach. I always done that, and I have boxes of notebooks that I put all my, you know, I have boxes from as far back I think as as like probably early '90s. I have boxes of like tour diaries and just oh wow, no, tour diaries. Yeah, yeah, from the from the '90s and just a lot of and I and I think um, it's a bit. I mean, I, I, I'm really fast at writing on the computer. Mm-hmm. But this takes, as you said, it takes um, focus and a different sort of patience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I just think it's great. I think it's a really good way to sort of, uh, yeah, focus yourself. I mean, you can use your phone for, I mean, I have lists on my phones of records I have to buy and stuff like that. But uh, but as far as writing, like, thoughts and ideas and lyrics and, you know, poetry, I think that the, the actual pen and paper is still hard to beat. So in kind of doing minimal research, because I didn't want other things you've done to kind of bleed into what my subconscious when doing this, yep. you know, you've spoken a lot about you doing poetry. I don't think I've ever come across a book of poems no, that you've ever done. No. Is that something you would ever venture into? I don't think so. I think what I do is I write stuff and then some of it's poetic and then I'll see like, I'm use this in a song. So it's more of a, because sometimes when you write, I mean, sometimes you get a song mm-hmm and you have title and then you write lyrics and sometimes you just write stuff and I have a lot of stuff that's written and then like oh those four lines ended up in a song Mm. and that line ended up in a song so it's more more that thing it's not so much that I I I don't consider myself a poet really but (laughs) but you know you you write stuff without um, I think the big difference is when you write what you would assume would be portraits you write without a a purpose Mm -hmm you just write and then I always go look back at stuff that I've written and I'm like oh that, that's good I could use that for a song so yeah, all the good stuff ends up in songs have you been surprised at writing something just I don't want to say abstract necessarily but just for the because the thoughts coming to you pen and paper you're going and then realizing when someone in any of the numerous bands that you're in you're like holy shit I have I have something really perfect for this this melody or yes. this idea. Yes. Is it weird how how serendipitously sometimes your words will yeah, just yeah. fit music that you've never heard until that moment? Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. As I said, you write down stuff, and then sometimes you'll get like a demo, and then or sometimes you get like a phrase, and then you start and you're like, oh wow. And some, I mean, a lot of times you don't even remember that you wrote it because you wrote it down as like uh, just you know spitting something out on the paper, and then. You go back, you're like, oh, that's really cool. And then you're like, it fits perfect for this chorus. And then you're like, oh, my God. And, you know, because, I mean, sometimes you write stuff and it's so connected to the music. I mean, maybe especially something like Refuse because it's so, 
Refuse is a very direct language. Mm -hmm. It's like when I write lyrics to Refuse, I know sort of uh, how to approach that. But uh, for other things, like you, you find stuff, you're like, oh, that's beautiful. Like, why when did I write this? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's like stream of consciousness stuff, and and then that ends up being a song, you know. So something that was kind of interesting in, in prepping for this conversation with you is thinking about how this is the first time Refused has played here. I know, yep. I believe International Noise Conspiracy played here, whew, dating myself, I think, probably 15 years ago. Probably. Somewhere around there. Um, but it's interesting to think of a band, and, and granted, anyone who may be listening, I understand I'm going to say this, that it's the first, you still have a lot of firsts <laughs> in Refused. Yes. I do understand Refused was not around for a while, so that makes yeah. a very interesting you know, cross section for you where you're able to have firsts yeah. because you were gone for a while. Yeah. Is it, does that add to kind of the fun of still doing this all these years later where maybe a lot of bands are burned out because you're experiencing the first time in Grand Rapids? I, I've, yeah. I've been here once before, a decade or so ago, yeah. but I've not done it refu with Refused. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of cool. It's like we're going to Russia for the first time in my life in the summer. Oh, I've wow. never been to Russia. I'm like, and, and it is cool that, that, uh, that you said there's firsts. And I mean, as I said, you know, I've been here, but I can't remember. It's been a long time ago, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? I've been here one time, but then you come back with Refuse, and for, for everyone here, is it our first time? And for everyone in the band, it's the first time, and that is cool, and it keeps it a bit more interesting. And the sad part, I, I would have to say, is the flip side of that, because we're a band, we don't tour that much. Mm -hmm. Like, we do, we do our touring, and the record comes out, and you do some touring, but we don't tour that much. And I mean, this tour that we're doing, it's the only U.S. tour of this year. Mm. So there's a lot of spots in the U.S. that we're not going to go to this time. I Maybe sometime in the future. But it is also sad when you are a band that's more uh, restrictive with our touring that there'll be a lot of places where people like they want us to come and play and we're never going to which is kind of a bummer i mean it is a complete bummer but you know that's that's just kind of the nature you can't play in it everywhere you know but yeah i think you know in, in thinking about you know i've now seen you guys since you've reformed i actually saw the like as you keep calling it the uh the, the victory lap basically yes of, the victory lap. uh the reunion <laughs> basically in detroit and it was weird because you know i'm sitting next to Jeff Tuttle who at the time was in Dillinger's Escape Plan there were people oh, yeah. from that had come up from New York from some of the New York hardcore scene that dies today and so forth and it was one of those things where it was wild to be in a room full of people who are bands that I've looked up to and being like and kind of sharing this like holy shit I can't believe we're seeing this band here like yeah. a band I never thought I'd ever see and what's interesting is I've seen you three or four more times since then but that feeling of like I need to see you every time you're remotely near because I don't know when the like next time you're gonna yeah. be through is, and I feel like it's really interesting that you guys really kind of embrace it not from a financial standpoint to be like you need to come because you never know we're gonna be here, yeah. but that you're just honest and being like we would love to play everywhere. However, that's just not yeah. financially feasible at times yeah. for us to come to the states with all the visas and everything to, yeah. to make it work. So when we come, you better show up. Yeah, I mean it, it is the same thing for me. I never know when we're gonna come <laughs> back next time, and and uh, and as you said, it's not a cynical purpose. It's just like everyone has families and kids and we have tons of other bands and projects and and uh, some of the people in the band don't like to tour that much mm -hmm. so we we try to be specific about our touring and we want it to feel exclusive not only for people that come and see us but only also for ourselves so we don't want to be that band that's like we're back together we're playing thousands of shows because i mean that excitement of 2012 i mean it's hard to 
to replicate that excitement. But we want it to be like when we come to town, as you said, like you, it might be another five years before we have a new record out. You never know. Right. So you want you want that excitement to to be palpable. The people like, oh shit, they're coming. I, I might not. They might never come back. You know. So it, it's it's a bit of a tri- tricky balance to figure that out. It's been interesting in thinking about your career because I probably like a lot of people like a lot of people you have said this to you shape of punk to come came out i found it and then i was like man can't wait to see this band someday and i was like oh fuck they broke up like six months ago yeah and so it was a thing where like you know like a lot of people this record took on this this life that i don't know that a lot of people don't realize that when that came out because it wasn't fan the flames people were like this record sucks (laughs) <laughs> and then the fucked up thing is, is you know, I've used that analogy to a lot of different people of a lot of different bands going, you know, a band kind of deviated from what their quote unquote sound was or what they became popular on. Yeah. And then people don't like the record. But then 10, 15 years later, after the band either went away or whatever, it's like, well, I guess now that I've distanced myself from the, the consensus of the popularity <laughs> of this band or whatever, I'm able to form my own opinion and go, holy shit, this band was doing something really interesting yeah. and diverse. I really like this record now on the other side of that was it really daunting to put out freedom and know that probably whatever it you could have put out you honestly probably could have put out and called it shape of punk to come to and basically redid the exact same record yeah and i still wonder if people have been like well i mean it's not shape punk to come so yeah but like is it is it just i just wonder from a creative standpoint is it daunting knowing that no matter how great of a record it really is how great you feel about what you're doing yeah that it's just going to be looked at as well. It's not as good as something that came 15, 20 years before it. Yeah, it's it is, but it's also part of what we had to do. You know, like we we so a couple of things. Like first of all, like when we did twenty twelve, I didn't think there was going to be another record. I didn't think we were going to sit here talk about <laughs> the second <laughs> record. You know, yeah. like like so. But when we decided that that we felt that we had something that was pretty awesome. So we felt like we need to continue. So we need to write more music, but we knew that going into the the, the, the you know the process of writing freedom, because it's it's too it's one or two things. It's just like it's not enough shape of punk to come, or it would be too much shape of punk to come. So it's like like you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. But at the same time, we felt that um, f- for a long time the band belonged to everybody else. And we were just like, we were just watching the band from far, saying, oh, that refused shit, that really took off, you know? <laughs> and and, and so, so doing the reunion and doing Freedom was a way for us to assert our own control over the band, saying, like, this is our band. And I mean, the same people that wrote Shape of Punk was the same people that wrote Freedom, and we wrote it kind of in a similar way, a similar approach to music, but it turned out very different. As would have the record, if we didn't break up in 98, the record would come out in 2000 would be completely different from Shape Punk to come because that's who we are. Right. But but yeah, it is one of those things because also at at the end of the day, like you heard that record when you were 17 or roughly yeah, 17, yeah, 18. you're 17 and your your mind is blown and you're like, I can't believe this is. I never heard anything like that. We can never make you 17 again. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's no, a, exactly. It, it is. It is. And, and and the record that people lived with for the 15 years, and they were like, they they lived with it, and and the myth of our band, and like, oh, they're not around, and 
all these crazy stories about our band. I mean, no matter what we did, we couldn't compete with that. But the, the cool thing is that we did Freedom. It was a bit of a polarizing record. <laughs> I, the thing to me about that record, though, was everything that everyone lauded you for for Shape of Punk to Come yeah. was very present on Freedom. Y yes. So yes, I don't understand why everyone... No, but it, it is what it is. As I said, I mean, people have a perception and an idea of what they want things to be and when it's not i mean just look at star wars you know <laughs> people are like in their in their 40s and they're like they're screaming angrily crying this is not what i wanted star wars to be and like no of course you were like seven when you saw the first movie of course it's not going to be the same and and i felt a little bit like that when when you put up freedom but but the, at the end of the at the end of the day in enable us to put out war music you know it's kind of a, a, a palate cleanser because now like people compare war music to freedom and they're like oh it's it's different from freedom you know so it's it is that's that's what it is and and maybe i mean it's funny now because when we play when we play like electra from freedom live people go crazy yeah they did song. not go crazy four years ago when we played it <laughs> but now i was like well this is a classic i'm like yeah so well it, that was kind of my thing is <laughs> do you think and i guess you're kind of speaking to it now that it's do you just feel that perpetually you're gonna be a band that kind of it takes people a couple years <laughs> to really understand what you're doing because they're just <laughs> always gonna compare you to something like, i mean even leading up to this some people like a couple of friends were like well i really hope they play a lot of uh fan the flames of discontent and i'm like okay and if they don't yeah and they're like well that's gonna be a bummer and i was like so you only want to hear something like you very much like you're saying i can't make you 17 again no, to when you no. found a band yeah but the thing that kills me is and something that you know i've been talking quite a bit on this podcast about is i'm gonna be 36 in a couple of months and i think all the time about how i was fucking bulletproof when i was 22 and now i look back at my life and i'm like how the, how did i not fuck up my life more now for myself as an adult yeah a true adult than i have but I look back on those times finally, but I also realize, like, man, I would not want to be that ever again. Never because again. Never ever that's again. That's just its own time, <laughs> and it needs to exist, and you need to keep moving on and going yeah, forward. Yeah. But it's weird because I feel like bands, especially bands that we latch onto at such a, a very youthful yeah. time of when we're transitioning from youth to adult, yeah. we we want them kept, like stuck in that yes. little time frame. Yes. It's so weird. Yes, it is a bit weird. But it, it is, I mean, it makes sense. It's the formative years. A friend of mine said this the other day. He was like, well, you know, like, they heard Shape of Punk to come and they were 17. They had the time of their lives. They hear the new record. They hate their lives. Of course, they're going to hate the record. I'm like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. You know, like, you'll hear a record and, like, this does not remind me of when I was young and bulletproof. This reminds me of today when I have to go to work. <laughs> and the, so, I mean, there's all those facets of, like, how you live your life and what, what, what life's done to you. But, I mean, you fall in love with music for a certain reason. And, um, some people i read i read an article somewhere that most people stop discovering or listening to muse, new music in their late 20s early 30s i heard it was whatever you lose your virginity to that's the era of music you stop moving forward in. oh that's that would be horrible <laughs> what would it have been for you <laughs> all right so here's the kicker i lost my virginity listening to sod stormtroopers of death <laughs> so it's it's Solid not record, my pro yeah it's a bit <laughs> racist but you know <laughs> it's not my proudest moment but uh yeah but you know like a lot of people as you say they want they want things to be conserved in, in the way they remembered it and um 
I'm not like that. I'm I'm the type of person that like I want to discover new music every day. I want to discover new songs. I'm the guy that like I'm the I'm the guy that goes really deep into like what about Dancing Five Black Acid Devil? Was it really that bad? <laughs> you know, I'm that guy. I'm that guy that kind of you know like you want to dig in on on stuff that that failed or flopped or people didn't like. I want to dig in on that. I want to dig on the, the Dick with Third record. That's like my my favorite of all. You know, so. But for a lot of people, it is like they they want a nostalgia trip, and you know when you play. I mean, we play a lot of old songs. We play a lot of new songs. We do, but we do play a lot of old songs. So it's like, if you want that kick, I mean, we're gonna play three songs from Songs as a Fan, which is. But it's also funny because, out of the 800 people or whatever, 500 people in the crowd, there'll be 20 that knows that record. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like, but those twenty, they'll they'll get a couple of songs, and you yeah. know, and then we play a bunch of new songs, and you know, we play new noise. We're not we're not dumb. <laughs> I think it's interesting that you guys have kind of held on to your punk and hardcore aesthetic throughout everything, even though it would seem like a lot of your contemporaries kind of lose that mentality after a while. Well, I always thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think it's because we're so. I think one of the things for us is that we were never, I mean, really for a while we were super invested in punk and hardcore. That was like our life. But then we were like, when we did Shape, I mean, a, a big part of making Shape of Punk to Come was like a reaction to mm. the reactionary nature of, of a scene. And uh, we're all very idiosyncratic people, which I think it's easy. Then it's easy because we have nothing to prove to punk. Right. So that makes us, you know, it's easy for us to be like, oh, we don't give a fuck. Like, we're yeah. just going to do whatever you want to do because that's who we are as people. It's not like we're trying to prove a point or we're not trying to be punk. We're just like, we're just going to do whatever we feel like doing. And um, it is an interesting thing because we don't look very punk. <laughs> if you see us <laughs> on the street, it would be like, you know, it's just a bunch of fucking weirdos. So something that's interesting to me about war music and something I had read initially when you were doing the beginning aspects of the pre-press for the yeah. release was that you were saying that this record unlike freedom supposedly um was that it was kind of marred in i don't want to say drama necessarily but just <laughs> that it was uh fric frictions and were kind of intentions were building and it does make me wonder do you guys just thrive in that environment to create the best music that you can? Because it seems like, it seems like every time, like when you look, when you talk about shape, the only record I can think of that you said that like seemingly was pretty easy to record with no problems was Fan the Flames. Yeah. Everything else since you've been back basically, or from shape forward, yeah. you've always been like, well, there's a little bit of tension here yeah, and yeah. because of these things and so forth. So it just makes me wonder: Do you realize that you thrive in this environment? We're we're uh, we're working on the new record and there's I mean it was a drama it was more like you know there's a couple of different people going you know like different wills wanting different things and you know we're not we're not we don't always see eye to eye and then Magnus our bass player calls me and he was bummed about something and then he said well I guess we're the type of people that needs to feel really shitty to create good art <laughs> I'm like I guess so and I mean it is it is a it's mildly frustrating that um the process is never as smooth as you want it to be because then when we go on tour it's super easy like we really get along and really like each other and we like to play but the creative aspect of being in this band is always it, it's always difficult i mean not not necessarily drama but it's just difficult it's just a lot of hard work and a lot of like you know it's never easy <laughs> but i mean 
it's one of those things when you when you when you create something. I've been working on this record for like a year and a half, like on and off. I'm not not a year and a half constantly, but on and off for a year and a half. And uh, a lot of frustration, a lot of like, you know, I'll fly down to Stockholm, I'll do vocals, and then I'll be like, oh, that was awesome. And then I fly home, and like a few weeks later, David calls me, he's like, well, we changed the chorus, and there's a new bridge part, so we need to redo the vocals. And I'm like, oh. so there's a lot of that, just right. like it, it constantly changes. And you're like, oh, I think we're done with the record, and then another four months of working <laughs> with the record. So a lot of that, but I mean, when when the end result when it's done i think you know i think we all felt it was a frustrating process and then uh we're we're we met up when we're mastering the record and we're sitting in the mastering room listening to it like just full volume back to back and everybody looked at each other and we're like yeah this is this is pretty <laughs> awesome you know and and then all that fades away and all that be- becomes you something that we're like yeah whatever you know it was just a part of that process and uh and it, it, it's worth it somehow, you know, because that's, you know, great artists create, created under difficult circumstances. Something that's unique about you guys that, and this is, again, kind of looking back on things and kind of having the ability to look back 10, 15 years ago and think about how it informs you moving forward is, you know, you made it, you made no bones about it that when basically shape, you toured into the ground and that's kind of what led to when Shape of Punk Come came out you did your CD release shows there was like nobody there you did a shitty tour with Ink, yeah. Ink, Ink and Dagger yeah and <laughs> you know it was one of those things where you guys broke up and then all of this monster success for the record came about and you're like holy shit like you're yeah. not really a part of it it's not you anymore nope. and so what makes me kind of interested in, in thinking about that is as a you basically the thing you created in the truest of senses was let go and became something for everybody else other than all of you yeah and you got to look at it in a way that most bands can't get to do because they're usually in involved in it yep. in the moment yeah like on the rise when a yeah. record's taking off so it two-part question what was able what was it like being able to see everything happen and how did it inform you moving forward when you guys decided to to at least do the reunion yeah what did that inform of that because to me i feel like there's a lot of soul searching that probably happened because of what you were able to witness from afar from yeah. your own creative output yeah it was weird it's 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 trippy to be a part of a a band and a process uh, and a record where people now are like oh that's a legendary record and and i mean as you said most bands where, where they do like a meteoric rise they're a part of that we were not right we could you see the record taking off and I go on tour with my other bands and people come up and they're like, I love Refuse. And I'm like, where were you like, yeah, where were you like a year ago? What are you talking about? But I mean, it is, it's, so that was a wild thing. It was like also kind of frustrating because, you know, you're trying to create new music, you're trying to move on in life and then people just keep pulling you back. So for the first couple of years when, when Shape took off, it was, it was like this weird thing. There's just like, there was just going on. You're like, you're like, get rid of that just stop it and then uh, after a while like well that's kind of crazy that like oh it's been 10 years and people are still talking about this record and then now it's 22 years and we're still talking about this record and so when 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 that flipped and you're like i was i was i was a part of creating a record that that we're going to talk about in 20 years 
And how many people in bands get to say that? You know, how many people in bands get to Because, I mean, most of us, I mean, all most of my other projects, most of my other bands, most of my friends, you play music, you're fucking blip on the radar, and then you're gone. And then there's a handful of us nerds that'd be like, that was an awesome record. But, but to be part of a record that's like, you know, people talk about it in a sense that it's like, you know, like a real legendary record. It's an amazing thing. So then when we had to get back together in 2012, we're like, so the last show was in Harrisburg, Virginia, in a basement <laughs> in front of 45, maybe 60 people. And the next show is going to be headlining the second stage at Coachella. So that jump, I mean, I mean, to figure out how to become, go from being a garage band to be like a, a big rock band, it was insanely weird. I mean, I've done the transition because I mean, I did. I toured with the International Noise Conspiracy. We played Coachella twice. I played the main stage at Coachella. But the other guys, they didn't do anything for like 12 years. Right. David did some solo records. He, he spent three years working on a record. He put it out. He did two shows or five shows. And oh, fuck this. I'm going to write another record. I mean, Chris, uh, Magnus, and John, they, they didn't. They, they weren't on stage right. for that whole period, you know? So there was a lot of, like, um, how do we manifest these songs so they make sense in rooms that are big or festivals that are big? And it, that was a, it took a lot of work to find that, uh, you know, because it's easy when you're in a room in front of 100 people and the energy, is, it's so easy. You just go for it, you know? But then, you know, you play Coachella, like, you, you need another a different kind of output. But it was also uh, it was also interesting to be like okay now we can have like we can have production we can <laughs> bring our own lights and you know like it's it's an interesting journey to have made you know something actually as you bring that up the Coachella thing you know there's a I'm trying to think of the way to say this where I'm not being shitty no um, you can be shitty it's fine <laughs> so. When, I remember actually when you guys got announced to do Coachella, and there was a lot of fan backlash about you guys specifically playing Coachella. It, yeah. Now here we are in 2020. Yeah. And Rage Against Machines going through the same shit. Yeah. Is it interesting to you that fans want clamor for these reunions, clamor for their yep. favorite bands to come back? But then when they do, it's like, well, that's not how I wanted you to come back. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. But, but I think it's also for us, specifically for us, maybe Rage Against Machine, it's like they want the reunion and they want it to happen. But then when it's like, you know, it's like, as you said, the wrong festival or they're making money, you know, you know, God forbid. Yeah. But, but I mean, it, it is, look at Rage Against Machine. They always played arenas. They, they were huge. They were like one of the biggest rock bands in the world. Are you yes. surprised they're playing arenas? The tickets are going to be expensive. But I mean, and I kind of get it. I, it. It is maybe, you know, like maybe not the reunion people dreamt of us playing Coachella. But for us to get the offer from Coachella. So here's how, how we thought about it. Like most of the shows we play, they're like this, like mm -hmm. 600 to 1500 people. We do festivals. But I mean, the Coachella offer was fucking good. Right. It's good money. It supports the rest of the tour. It supports, and I mean, it it enabled us to. Everybody took time off from life for three months to practice every day, nine to five every day for three months, because the money we got from Coachella enabled us to do that, and it enabled us to tour and become a proper band again. And yeah, I mean, the Coachella show was what it was. It was a bit weird and. 
I mean, that crowd necess- wasn't necessarily our crowd. But then we went on tour, and now, you know, if you want to see us at a club show, you can come see us at a club show. So right. it, it was just like a means to an end for us. It was like, okay, we'll do that. They'll pay us tons of money, and we can use this money to actually get in shape. You know, we can right. use this money to be the greatest fucking band we can be. And, you know, but then, that, so that's kind of how we felt about it. But, yeah, we didn't think that we are going to be here in 2020, and, you know, um, Grand Rapids. <laughs> last couple of questions, I don't know how long, much longer I have before. Um so you pretty outspoken about your political beliefs and, and where you lie on things and yeah. I think for a lot of people that's why we enjoy your music that's why we enjoy you yeah. um, but I have wondered because in doing this and being as big into music as I have you know you hear of bands that have to self-censor themselves to go to foreign countries because of yeah. political agendas or whatever I've never heard of you guys running into that is that something that you've ever faced? no what noise conspiracy went to china and we had to submit the lyrics beforehand so they uh, they could approve of the lyrics and we actually got a show canceled because they they thought our lyrics wasn't uh apparently i got you for like a couple more minutes you got something uh, yeah yeah so but but apparently they didn't like the lyrics so we got a show canceled but apart from that i mean what you try to do is like you try to talk about stuff that matters kind of universally and maybe also locally and and you know and the, the political aspect of the band is uh, we, we can't shy away from that that's it's a part of like the, the refused dna you know right it is funny when some people are like i read online now someone like they're all angry because we're all we're getting all political with a new record <laughs> and I'm like wait shit Papunk Tukum opens up with I got a bone to pick with capitalism and for you to break yeah. songs to fan the flames is like the international works of the world's song path pamphlet from like the 30s yeah it's always been there it's, it's you know it's you know it's never not been there so it, it, it is but I mean that that that's also what happened when when shape became like a crossover record there's right. a lot of people that just heard a new noise and like oh these guys are rad and then they I see us live the and they're like whoa what's what's this fucking pink on about you know so but that's it's you know it's just who we are <laughs> well uh you got to get ready to do sound checks so thank you very much for doing this uh, well thank you for having stupidly me stupidly nervous to do this with you because i hold you in a very high regard intellectually well you know uh, that's so. that's <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much for doing this and i'm very much looking forward to uh seeing you and not having to drive three hours away to go see you awesome thank you so much thanks so that was my conversation with dennis of refused um again you know this podcast is uh, afforded uh, myself and and dan with some of the conversations we had like adam of hopes fall uh of getting to talk to bands and people in the bands that we have long admired and uh refused is up there for me um i think i mentioned in the interview that basically i heard refused like most people when Shape of Punk to Come came out, and I was like, holy fuck, this band's awesome. And then they broke up. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, I'm never going to get to see this band. Like, you know, just like everybody else, they, they rose to legendary status. And, you know, a lot of my favorite singers or vocalists are also very lyrically uh, dense. And, I mean, Dennis, Keith from Eated, uh, to, you know, Chino to a degree. Like, there are a lot of people I hold in very high regard. And Dennis as an intellectual is one of those to me. And so 
I was stupidly nervous talking to him because I did not think I could even hold a conversation with someone that I hold in such high regard. And, you know, the interesting thing was is I think the way, like I said in the intro, that I just kind of hit record and, and we started talking and I had notes, and but I tried to let things kind of flow organically with what I also had written down. And I could have talked to him for probably another 40 minutes at least. Um, but I think we kind of, you know, had a really interesting conversation and it kind of parallels really with the Telly Smith one we just dropped uh, about looking back and about realizing who you were versus who you are and realizing that those are one in the same, but those experiences that you have don't get negated by one or the other existence that you have, but you know, you can't live in the past either. Yeah. And like, that's really hard for, for someone like me, because, like, you know, when you guys were talking about Fan the Flames of Discontent, I was like, yeah, that's the record. <laughs> you know, I, I'm that one of four people at the show that's like, yeah, they played that for me, you know. Um, but, you know, to, to his point about, like, you know, we can't go back in time and make you 17 again, you know. And you guys had a very hilarious conversation about, you know, you stop checking out music based on when you lost your virginity. Have you um, heard that theory, by the way? I have I have heard that theory. Okay. And I've heard it a couple of different ways. Some some people go the virginity angle. Some people go the um, just whatever you're into in high school, which, I mean, it's pretty much the same argument for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, like I, I totally get that because like, I mean, dude, we talked about it for two hours about Furnace Fest. Yeah, it's true. Fur- Furnace Fest is like literally the closest thing you're going to ever get to being 17 again. <laughs> you know, uh, so I mean, in, in that regard, like I, I totally get it. And, and like the, the struggle of pushing on, you know, and doing stuff that, you know, might upset people, but also not really worrying about it is you know because i mean refused has not sounded the same like they've they've kind of had this they've always been different i guess like i mean even the first and second record sounded vastly different no two records sound the same that yeah that's that was the interesting thing about you know a lot of people focus on the fact and sorry to cut you off that well it didn't sound like shape of punk to come well shape of punk to come didn't sound like fan the flames and Electra doesn't sound like Shape of Punk, and Electra to War Music doesn't sound the same. No two records sound the same, yet there are flashes of all of those records on the records. And I always find it interesting that, like I said, like why is it that music is the only thing that we be holding someone to a very specific snapshot and never let them grow beyond that? I I, I think to a certain extent, like there are people that, and this is this is a very generalized statement. I apologize, but I, I feel like a lot of people don't value music the way that other works of art are valued and the way other artists are valued with music it's very much like uh, i want you to do the thing that i like do that thing that i like and i may only have a very limited uh palette of what i like so you've got you know and, and i think that's what's so funny about the shape of punk to come is that like that record not only didn't sound like uh fan the flames but it it didn't sound like anything really that had ever that that I had ever heard before that, you know. And um, it was a very, very, very kind of out there, risky sort of record. I mean, to the point where it destroyed the band, you know. Maybe maybe the record didn't, but certainly the 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 horrendous tour that they went on for it, and you know um, that they just had a terrible experience. And um, you know, like you said, they they kind of had to experience that record as you know on the ground level because they weren't really uh they were didn't get to actively participate in it oh, and weird. Uh, <laughs> it's so weird yeah like I that's that's rough and um but like like more to my point is I just feel like you know people 
listen to music as their noise, their background noise. You know, and that's not to say that people, I mean, a, a lot of refused fans, obviously it is like all about the lyrics and about the attitude. And, and I don't really feel like that's ever really changed, you know, but the, uh, but the, uh, the music has certainly always been different. And I think sometimes, uh, people just want musicians just to do the same thing over and over and over and over again. And, um, if they change too much, they're mad. And but then you know on the flip side too you have people that get really mad if you never diversify. So um, I think on discography discussion we call that the unpleasable metal fan. You know um, it, it's um, it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't type of situation. And uh, I think Refused has handled it beautifully uh, with the records that came out. You know post breakup. You know. I did find it interesting, you know, <laughs> Tennis talking about how people are like, oh, they're a political band now, and it's like. Now? <laughs> yeah, they've always been a political bit. <laughs> right, right. Um, the other thing, too, that was kind of interesting, and, and I, I didn't necessarily know how to approach it, and then I'm glad we kind of talked about it and got there organically, was basically, you know, I remember Refuse getting so much shit for reuniting and the, the reunion show basically happening at Coachella, and then, you know, subsequently the tour was announced, but... It's exactly what Rage Against Machines going through currently. And I was like, if there's any other band that could parallel the butt-hurtedness, which is not a word, but we it's on a podcast, so now it is, is the fact that, you know, Refused are a political band. They, they have their ideologies, basically, that are very prevalent in the music. And then you have Rage Against the Machine, who are you know, anti-establishment and all that kind of shit. But it's like, you know, the thing that I really commended Dennis for saying was that basically that one show gave them the ability to do the rest of the tour. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, and I think, I don't know, man, I, I'm always thinking back to that tour with uh, with Frodis that they did in the U.S., their last tour, you know, and uh, I didn't see it. but uh, And obviously maybe I didn't want to because apparently it was terrible, but... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if they were terrible. I never got the the full scoop on that. Um, we'll have to if we ever have a chance to get it back on again. I want to like really get deep into that tour and like <laughs> what went on there. Um, but yeah, whenever they whenever they came back, um, e- even I was a little bit guilty of like they're different. I don't like the, I don't like things that are different. <laughs> you know, um, but you know, like you said, you know the the, the mindset has hasn't changed. You know, and it is weird here because I have heard that before. Like, oh yeah, Refused is a, is a political band now. Now their second record was called "Fan the Flames of Discontent." I mean, are you serious? That re- that record's not about like ceiling fans and and like arson. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that was a bad example, but you know, like, uh, I, I don't know, man. Like that, I could go on for like three and a half hours about how people you know don't pay enough attention to lyrics, but I don't think anybody needs to hear me talk about that anymore. Uh, than I already have, but like, seriously, come on. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was uh, this was definitely a bucket list guess for me. Um, I always wondered how it would go. You know, I've heard Dennis on other podcasts that we listen to, and uh, you know, seem obviously a very intelligent person, well spoken person. All of that aside, I feel like we've uh, we've talked quite a bit about coronaviruses and and nostalgia, and we should uh, kind of wrap this thing up. Um. I actually want to talk about our sponsors. Um, we have a new sponsor that came on very recently. This will be the first time they sponsored the show. Uh, it is rockabilia.com. Uh, if you are like me and you or Dan, I mean, we we love merch. We do. <laughs> um, 
I bought just a plain Jane, refused uh, Shape of Punk to Come album cover hoodie because um, it's classic and, you know, like the beginning of that record says, you know, the classics never go out of style. And uh, Rockabilly is one of those companies that if you listen to a lot of music-based podcasts like we do, you've heard of this brand consistently for a long time. It's because they have been around for a long time and they have great quality products. Um, so we're really excited to bring Rockabilly on as a as a sponsor. And coincidentally, they actually have a refused exclusive uh, shirt over there with a, a blue photo uh, live shot of Dennis uh, perched over, screaming into a microphone, just as refused on the top of it. Uh, they have some, <laughs> they have a really great, I'm not big on crew necks, but I kind of want this uh, Slayer refused uh, crew neck that they have, as well as uh, just a straight up, uh, one of those raglans, those like baseball t-shirts, mm-hmm. just as RFSD. It's kind of classic, you know, real easy and kind of fun to read. Um, but they have, you know, over 500,000 products. If there is a band that you like, chances are they fucking have them there. They also do more than just rock and metal. Uh, they do hip hop. You know, I know they have Eminem. They also break into movies and so forth. So chances are if you are into something relating to this podcast, you will find a garment or an item that suits whatever fandom you have. Uh, so we are very excited to have them on the show. Head on over there, support them for supporting us. Uh, like I said, very, very fucking stoked to have them on this thing. Uh, they support only the best podcasts. Uh, I mean, they're on all the ones I listen to. So like I said, very much looking forward to them. And in our emails and dealings with them, you can tell that they're genuinely excited about music, especially hardcore rock metal. Um, so, I mean, it just feels like a perfect pairing to have them finally come on over here and support us. So go support rockabilia.com. Uh, I believe when I went on to their site, uh, if you are a first-time new user, you get 10% off your order. So, I mean, what's better than that? Right. And uh, other sponsors, we have The Bean Bastard. Uh, get you some delicious coffee. Head on over to TheBeanBastard.com. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, at The Bean Bastard. Coincidentally enough, uh, on Instagram, I saw... Uh, Florida Frank from Hatebreed was posting uh, some guitar picks and some other stuff, and uh, I think I commented on that, that... Uh, that Nick and all the guys over at uh, the Bean Bastard need to make uh, a hate breed inspired blend called uh, "Decaf is the Death of Desire." Wow, that'd be awesome. I mean, that's basically Jamie Josta's uh, shirt uh, thing I from this podcast. Fitting. Yeah, but I mean, Josta has a T-shirt idea, and I think uh, the Bean Bastard should make that an actual blend and uh, make everything cool. I would drink it, except I don't really drink decaf. So, I mean, it is kind of the death of my desire to drink coffee. So, well, maybe then you need a. I don't know. I was going to say in decaf, they. I don't know. <laughs> maybe you need some perseverance blend. It's just straight black coffee. <laughs> I'll take it. I will take it. I'll take. T- I'll. T- I'll buy your entire stock. <laughs> so uh, head on over to the Bean Bastard. Let those guys know that we sent you over there. And on point pomade, as always, keep your hair and beard looking great. Onpointpalmade.com. Use our code BSP15 and get fifteen percent off your total purchase order. And uh, keep up with all the latest going ons with On Point Palmade at On Point Palmade on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And thank you to Podcorn for sponsoring this episode. Um, I think it's a great tool. I think more podcasters and more content creators should take advantage of this platform. Uh, it's it's pretty new. I happened to stumble across it, and I think a lot more people should take advantage of it. So I want to thank them for supporting the show as well. And uh, Dan will now tell you where he can be supported online. <laughs> well, I can be supported a number of ways, or really just contacted. I mean, you could support me if you want to, I guess. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Dan. 
You can find me on Facebook under Daniel Terry. I can also be found at DiscussMetal.com talking about how either your favorite band is really good or really crappy or somewhere in between. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. If you would like to keep up with Refused, simple enough. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Refused. Check out their website, OfficialRefused.com. If you would like to keep up with Dennis, it's uh, Instagram at Dennis Lixen, L-Y-X-Z-E-N, and on Twitter at Lixen Official. Um, it'll be in the show notes if you don't know how to spell his name, even though I just gave it to you. Um, but shout out to the man for, for blessing the podcast. Uh, holy shit. And uh, for this episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. And we will talk to you all next time.